50 episodes. If you'd asked me when I started this podcast back in 2020, when the world was full of uncertainty, if I'd make it to episode number 50, I probably would have laughed. Back then, I only had a few ideas for the first few scripts, but as I kept going, the listener feedback and encouragement from everyone I know kept me going. I love finding out that a friend of a friend listens to this podcast. I love sharing my podcast with people at cocktail parties and watching them pull out their phones and hit the subscribe button right then and there. I still can't believe people send me direct messages and emails with messages of support and ideas for cases to look into. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. For this episode, I'll discuss a little bit about some of our listener demographics, as well as the most downloaded episodes. Then, I'll discuss my thoughts on the recent release of a true crime documentary set in the South Carolina Lowcountry. There is much to love about North and South Carolina, but the two states have also had their fair share of violent and senseless crimes over the years. From murders on the Blue Ridge Parkway, in the heart of big cities or sleepy college towns, and along the coastal waters, some of these stories may be new to you. Some may have happened in your town. Some may involve people that are still missing to this day. But all will leave you remembering to always be vigilant about the people you meet and the places you go. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Episode 50, A Review of Low Country, the Murdoch Dynasty. Before we get started on today's review, let's talk about the most downloaded episodes for this past year. I wanted to branch out and do more reviews and discussions around true crime documentaries, especially if they have ties to North or South Carolina. I devoted two episodes to exploring the death of Kathleen Peterson in Durham, North Carolina, the Netflix documentary that covered the case, and the dramatization HBO Max produced earlier this year. Episode 44, Thoughts on the Staircase, has received 2,620 downloads alone. I also began producing more episodes featuring true crime in our area, along with missing persons cases. Episode 37, North Carolina Women Who Poisoned, received more than 2,031 downloads, and Missing from Wilkes County received 2,021. Overall, the podcast has received 86,359 downloads, which I think is pretty darn good for a regional podcast. I'm hoping to reach more than 100,000 listeners in the next few months. Missing in the Carolinas listeners are mostly located in Charlotte, and the next largest group is from Atlanta, Georgia. They are predominantly female, which is no surprise to me, since we make up a majority of the listeners in the true crime category. We also have podcast listeners in the U.S., U.K., and Australia. Another update. I'm in the process of creating a whole new website for the podcast, which will include a true crime blog. While I'm nervous about taking on this task myself, I think you will love the finished product, and I'll keep everyone updated on its completion. Now, let's talk all things Murdoch. This is a true crime story in the Carolinas that I've been hesitant to discuss on this podcast, because honestly, new information comes out almost daily, and I've found it hard to keep up. I did listen to a few different podcasts right around the time Maggie and Paul Murdoch were murdered in the summer of 2021, 
but I didn't care for the production quality, so I didn't continue following them. The various networks and streaming services have also put together their own episodes. Because this case is so multifaceted and begins with a boating accident that happened in February of 2019, there has been plenty of material to feature on news networks. But I feel the most recent episode of Dateline, titled Dark Waters, and the HBO Max three-part documentary Low Country, The Murdoch Dynasty, give a great overview of what all is involved in this case. To bring everyone up to speed, here's a timeline of the details involved in the Alec Murdoch case that I found on WJCL, the news affiliate out of Savannah, Georgia. It's a lot, but I know I always appreciate a good timeline and thought you would too. Basically, from 1920 to 2005, three generations of Murdoch served as the 14th Circuit Solicitor in South Carolina, the top prosecutor representing Beaufort, Jasper, Hampton, Allendale, and Colton counties. On July 8, 2015, a 19-year-old young man named Stephen Smith was found dead on a rural road in Hampton County, South Carolina. At first glance, his death was determined to be caused by a hit-and-run by an unknown vehicle. On February 2, 2018, 57-year-old Gloria Satterfield fell down the front steps of the Murdoch family home in Colton County, South Carolina. She had worked for the Murdochs for more than two decades as a housekeeper and nanny for the two sons. She suffered serious injuries and was taken to a nearby hospital. A few weeks later, on February 26th, Gloria Satterfield died as a result of the injuries from her fall. According to Gloria's sons, Alec Murdoch approached them, said he had an insurance policy that would cover their mother's accident, and told them they would be taken care of after her death. A year after her death, on February 24, 2019, Paul Murdoch and five of his other friends went out for a late-night boat ride, got intoxicated after Paul purchased alcohol using his older brother's ID, resulting in the boat crashing near Paris Island. A few of the passengers, who were all under the age of 21, sustained serious injuries, but not Paul, and 19-year-old Mallory Beach could not be found after the crash. On March 3, 2019, boaters discovered Mallory's body in a marsh area near a boat landing in Beaufort County. Later that month, her family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Alec Murdoch and his son, Richard Alexander Buster Murdoch Jr., and the convenience store that sold the alcohol to Paul. On April 18th, Paul Murdoch was indicted on charges of boating under the influence causing death and two counts of boating under the influence causing great bodily injury. On May 6, 2019, Paul Murdoch pled not guilty to all charges. He posted bond and never served a day in jail for the next two years. On June 4, 2021, court-ordered mediation for the wrongful death lawsuit failed, meaning the case was bound for trial. On June 7, 2021, Alec Murdoch discovered the bodies of his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul, deceased at the family's 1,700-acre hunting lodge in Colton County. Both had been shot to death, and he placed a 911 call for help around 10 p.m. that evening. South Carolina's State Law Enforcement Division, also known as SLED, 
arrived on the scene. The next day, authorities made a statement that they didn't believe the general public was in danger after the double homicide. On June 23, 2021, SLED stated that based on information they had gathered during the Murdoch murders investigation, they were reopening the case of 19-year-old Stephen Smith's death back in 2015. On August 6, 2021, the South Carolina Attorney General's Office dropped all criminal charges against Paul Murdoch in the Mallory Beach case due to his death. In September of 2021, the law firm that Ellick's family helped start, PMPED, began investigating him after finding a suspicious check on his desk. Their investigation would eventually determine he had been taking money from the firm and their clients for personal use. The other members of the firm asked him to resign, and he did on September 3rd. The next day, while changing a flat tire on his personal vehicle in Hampton County, Alec Murdoch called 911 and told the operator he'd been shot in the head by an unknown assailant. On September 6th, he released a statement that he was resigning from the PMPED law firm and entering a treatment facility for a years-long opioid addiction. He also had his law license suspended by the state of South Carolina. On September 14, 2021, a man named Curtis Smith was arrested in connection to what police called an assisted suicide attempt by Alec Murdoch. Police stated they believed Alec was trying to collect a $10 million life insurance policy to give to his surviving son, Buster. On September 15, 2021, Alec Murdoch was named the chief defendant in a wrongful death lawsuit filed by Gloria Satterfield's sons. SLED then announced they were reopening a criminal investigation into the woman's death. Alec Murdoch was arrested on September 16, 2021, on fraud charges stemming from the failed assisted suicide plot. On September 18, 2021, Curtis Smith told the New York Post that he was being set up by Alec Murdoch. A few days later, on September 23rd, SLED announced they had uncovered other potential crimes as part of the investigation of Paul and Maggie Murdoch's murders. Before we continue, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. By day, I work as a journalist, but I also enjoy creative writing and entering writing contests. If you like writing creative nonfiction, I encourage you to check out the Creative Nonfiction Essay Contest over at WOW Women on Writing. The mission of this contest is to inspire creative nonfiction and provide well-rewarded recognition to contestants. The contest is open globally, all ages are welcome to enter, and entries must be in English. Your story must be true, but the way you tell it is your chance to get creative. WOW is open to all styles of essay from personal essay, to lyric essay, to hybrid essay, and beyond. The deadline for the latest creative nonfiction contest is January 31st. This specific contest will have 20 winners and more than $1,350 in cash prizes. First place wins $500. WOW allows a maximum of 300 entries. You can also purchase a critique to get more feedback on your writing. Learn more at wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the contest tab. And now, let's get back to the show. 
As you can see, this timeline of the Murdoch case is quite extensive. So for the rest of it, I'm going to do a quick recap on some of the most recent developments in the past year. Gloria Satterfield's estate was settled with Palmetto State Bank. Her family had been due to receive more than $4 million from Alec Murdoch's insurance policy that they had never seen. The family also reached a second settlement with attorney Corey Fleming, a colleague and friend of Alec's who was supposed to be helping them. In November of 2021, Alec Murdoch was indicted on nearly 30 criminal accounts stemming from the Gloria Satterfield wrongful death settlement. He was placed into custody after not being able to meet a $7 million bond. This past summer, a man named Russell Lafitte, a former bank CEO, was indicted on 30 criminal charges, along with Alec Murdoch and Corey Fleming. Those charges included breach of trust, conspiracy, and computer crime. The Satterfield family announced they are using some of the settlement money to fund the creation of a foundation called Gloria's Gift. The charity will provide Christmas gifts to Hampton County families in need. On July 12, 2022, SLED announced they plan to charge Alec Murdoch in the deaths of his wife and son. His trial is set to begin early in 2023. Last month, Russell Lafitte, former Palmetto State Bank CEO, went on trial for bank fraud, wire fraud, and misapplication of bank funds. He was found guilty on November 22nd. He has not yet been sentenced. The recent Dateline episode titled Dark Waters spanned two hours. It is also available in podcast form, along with a debrief featuring host Craig Melvin and one of the producers. The episode covered the boating accident, Gloria Satterfield's accident, and the ensuing wrongful death lawsuits. Another set of victims Alec Murdoch collected and stole money from, a woman named Pamela Pinckney and her son Hakeem, the deaths of Maggie and Paul Murdoch, Alec Murdoch's arrest for the assisted suicide attempt and insurance fraud, along with the upcoming murder trial. But I feel like it was the HBO Max documentary Low Country, The Murdoch Dynasty, that really gives viewers a comprehensive look at the many victims of the Murdoch family. The first episode, titled Kings of the Low Country, discusses the legacy of the Murdoch family in South Carolina. Not only did they serve in the solicitor roles, but the law firm they helped found focused on civil cases, not criminal cases, which meant they participated in both sides of the law, leaving what I would speculate to be many opportunities for conflicts of interest. It covers the boating crash that killed Mallory Beach. I found it interesting exactly how Paul Murdoch's father and grandfather showed up at the hospital the night of the crash and went in and out of the various examination rooms, talking to the other passengers on the boat. It was obvious they were trying to persuade the others not to name Paul as the driver and plant reasonable doubt. The security footage from the hospital recorded it all. The second episode, titled Something in the Road, went into great detail regarding the death of Stephen Smith, and I learned a lot of things I didn't know about the investigation, including crime scene photos of Stephen's body. A South Carolina Highway Patrol officer also shared his thoughts, saying he never thought Stephen's death was a result of a hit-and-run. I later learned that this officer had also been a victim of Alec Murdoch after he was injured on the job and Alec was in charge of his personal injury suit. Of course, he had not received the funds from that settlement. 
I also did not know it was Buster Murdoch whose name kept coming up during the weeks and months following Stephen's death. I thought it had only been Paul's. In episode three, The Milk Ain't Clean, we hear the 911 call that occurred on the day Gloria Satterfield fell down the front steps of the Murdoch home. What struck me the most was how annoyed Paul sounded when the 911 operator was asking him questions about whether or not Gloria had ever suffered a stroke in the past. He actually said, with an exasperated tone in his voice, Ma'am, can you stop asking me all these questions? There are also phone calls shared that Alec Murdoch made from jail, including ones to his sister-in-law and son Buster. I won't get into the details, but I found those very enlightening. I would recommend you watch this documentary if you have access to it and haven't seen it. On a side note, a journalist who was my boss years ago in Charlotte, when I worked in magazine publishing, was interviewed as part of this documentary. His name is Mark Etheridge, and he made a good point that people are fascinated with this story because it's a prime example of institutional evil manifesting itself after years of no accountability. I have to say I'm interested to see the evidence prosecutors have collected in charging Alec Murdoch with the deaths of Maggie and Paul. I personally have a hard time believing he could have committed the murders himself without help. They were also shot with two different weapons, a shotgun and an assault rifle. But a news article that was published a few days ago said prosecutors believe the civil suit in Mallory Beach's case was about to expose the true state of the Murdoch's finances and the many crimes Alec had been committing in the midst of his years-long battle with addiction. I also haven't been able to tell whether or not Maggie and Alec Murdoch were estranged at the time of her death and Paul's. I've read conflicting reports. In Low Country, the Murdoch dynasty, one of Alec's attorneys stated the two were only living apart because Maggie didn't feel comfortable in Hampton after Mallory Beach died due to the outrage of the community. She had been spending a lot of time at their property on Edisto Island. The other question a lot of people have is what happened to so much of the money Alec Murdoch embezzled? At last count, it came to more than $10 million, mostly from minority clients who didn't have a lot of money. Yes, the family had multiple properties in South Carolina, but other friends and family members don't think they lived a lavish lifestyle that would warrant that kind of spending. As a side note, one of the more comprehensive podcasts about the Murdoch family Mandy Matney's Murdoch Murders is currently being developed into a scripted series for Hulu. To be fair, I only listened to a few episodes of this podcast, but it is where I first learned about the rumors that Stephen Smith's death was tied to the Murdoch family. This brings us to the conclusion of the 50th episode of Missing in the Carolinas. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd also like to support the show in a small way, you can buy me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash Renee Robertson. I currently don't receive any compensation for this podcast, so every little bit helps me continue producing new content. We're also now on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, so please like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. 
And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have there at wow-womenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Daniel and Mia Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.